Hello and welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. I'm Russ. And I'm Gordon. How are you today, Gordon? I'm hanging in there. Ah, so much better than the being hung in there. Yeah, that too, yes. Yes, although, although there are the days. <laughs> or am I go? oh yeah, just pull it. So I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. So today, we're going to take a little walk into esoterica because um, Gordon and I spent a lot of time talking about the how how do yes. I make this kind of photograph mm-hmm. what's the gear I use what are the tools that I use and as I was preparing some notes to share with Gordon uh, I looked on the internet you I did. I looked on the internet because I wanted to see what was happening on the internet pertaining to photography. And mostly what I found was the 12 best ways to the top 10 tips, mm-hmm. five ways to get the best. Yep. And um, then I threw up <laughs> because most of it was. Yep, exactly that. Yeah, it was. It was just like, wow. People actually spend time on this? That's tragic. So the question that we are going to ask you today is we're not going to talk about how. Nope, no hows in this one. No hows in this one. But don't worry, how will be back because how is very popular. But not today. Today we're going to talk about... His cousin... It's cousin. That's very good. Why? Why? Everybody's familiar with the W5H, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who, what, when, where, why, and how. Yeah. That fifth W, from an artistic perspective, may be the most important question to answer. So, the first question that I would like listeners to think about is do you make photographs or do you take pictures? Well, in my case, I'm and going to say just off the cuff here that uh, I guess I've been guilty of both. So maybe guilt is a harsh word, but I think we've all been in both places. Where sometimes we are working as a cre- to satisfy our creative means by making photographs. And then there's the time where we've just taken pictures. Mm-hmm. And the real difference here is the probability of success when just taking pictures versus making a photograph is going to be a whole lot lower. If you're just walking around going click, 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 versus taking the time to create that story and formalize your intent, the reality is you're going to come up with maybe fewer images, but better images. Have you found that to be true? Uh, That's true, and uh, I'm finding it more true as I go along. 
the number of times when I actually press the shutter is dropping fairly dramatically. But thinking of the other side of the coin, for possibly a lot of people, uh, <coughs> the creative aspect is not necessarily there. They see something they like, they want to record it for what it is, and they, they take the image. But you have shown us uh, in the camera club that if you ask, I think you posted once uh, the, the thought behind the the thought behind the image before mm -hmm. you have pressed that shutter, and that if, once you stop and do that, I'm finding that uh, that changes what I'm getting out of the camera. Well, I think I, I appreciate you saying that, and what you're describing is not inconsistent with the with folks who treat photography as a creative art form and who are honest enough with themselves to say, yeah, this one is just a picture I'm taking because I can, but this one is something that I'm investing my creative self into. Both are viable, but one's going to have lasting value, where the other one may be much more transitory. Mm -hmm. And fundamentally this is the difference between application of crack start that one again <laughs> the difference between <laughs> I, I must be tired today the application of craft that's an oh, ft that's an ft the application of craft versus a random act yes um, so for example i would consider a random act uh you go somewhere and they serve you a plate of food and you stand up with your smartphone and take 20 pictures of it. That's a random act because in a year's time, are you going to want to look at those 20 pictures of the plate of spaghetti bolognese? Maybe not. Um, as we record this, it's November the 12th. Yesterday in Canada was Remembrance Day. And because my family has a military history, I always attend the service on Remembrance Day. And while people were speaking, while the bugler or the bagpiper were playing, in what is ostensibly a fairly solemn moment of respect mm -hmm. and remembrance, there were plenty of people including members of my town council, taking selfies. Oh, my gosh. And you can't shoot them. <laughs> but I'm, I'm thinking of those 90-plus-year-old veterans who can't walk sitting in a chair going, is this what I fought for? Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's that random act that is not creative in any way. There's no craftspersonship that goes into those images. And so they're not going to last. So in the long term, is your value in doing that? You know, I think the data will tell us that the taking a picture is about supporting a memory. 
Mm-hmm. I was here. I did this thing. I saw this whatever I saw. I saw this bowl of spaghetti. Or I saw this car. Or I saw this person. But there's no more to it than that. Versus, we may look at an image and find ourselves falling into the image and finding it very difficult to leave the image because of the story that comes across from the creator. You know, I I just showed you a a book from a friend of mine, and the first thing you did was, hmm, I think that's South America. You didn't just gloss over the image. It seemed to grab you, at least for a period of time. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair statement? That is a very fair statement. And I think think you've you've covered... uh, the 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 concepts uh, involved in taking an image uh, you you covered it very well all all the aspects of it the documentation and this book that you showed me certainly i i think i was i came away from that thinking this person is trying to tell me something which is not what I got out of other images. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, folks, I don't know when this book will publish. Um, it is by a lady from Arizona. Her name is Rebecca Gould. Um, the book is called uh, a, a, compassionate compassionate lens. a Compassionate Lens. Uh, and it's a book of phot- photographs that Ms. Gould made while on vacation with her husband. But uh, to me, uh, as a lover of photographs of regular people, this blew me away to the same level that the photographs of Vivian Meyer did. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I hold Ms. Meyer's work in very high esteem. Uh, And so I would say the same thing for Ms. Gould's work, and I hope that you'll be able to buy it at some point through your favorite photography book retailer? I think that just looking at the title of that book tells you a whole lot about the person who took the images. It does. It tells uh, you a lot about their intent. It tells you about their intent, but the fact that as she was looking at whatever she was looking at, wherever she was, she could see this compassionate storytelling idea. She saw the human, the humanity. Yes. In the image. Or maybe sometimes the lack of humanity in an image. We've seen that too with some very powerful photography that makes us very uncomfortable. Well, that you mentioned that uh, the presentation I did at the Canberra Club... uh, uh, of uh, the Austrian American photographer who he he took similar images to this yes he did the feel is completely different because his his intent was different yes and the story he was trying to tell was different yes and so this concept of telling the story is 
it's what makes the photograph lasting. I mean, we understand the technical about making an image. The technical is easy. I think it is, but that's the thing that most people talk about. You know, am I using the right camera? Am I using the right lens? Have I got the light right? Is the composition the way it should be? But if there's no story, you have a technically adept picture. Right. So what, uh, I've heard you say this often. So maybe you could elaborate on what you actually mean by intent. What we, is it what you're trying to get across? Uh, is there something in that what you're looking at that... Um, I think so. I think so. And if I think of um, Dr. Stephen Covey's book, Start With the End in Mind. Okay. Um, that is a metaphor for an intent. You have an outcome. Hopefully it's planned. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not. But in the best images, there's a plan there somewhere. Right. To tell a story. Um, to create a connection. To inform more than, here's another documentary picture of a hamburger. Right. Or another documentary picture of a kid eating an ice cream cone. There has to be more to it than that for a photograph to, in old jargon, have have the legs to be able to stand for a period of time. And when we think about planned in- outcome, presuming we do, the questions that I might encourage the photographer to be able to answer to help to define the why of that outcome is, what are you going to do with the made photograph? I mean, we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. How many thousands of photographs die on hard drives? Most. Never to be seen. Right. So why did we make them? Who's the audience that the photograph is being made for? It's perfectly okay if the audience is just you. Do you get pleasure from it? Right. Does it make you feel joy, make you feel pain? Does it make you feel, period? So do you think that the how it makes you feel is probably a common denominator in all the images? That you would, un, unless, of course, uh, your outcome is... Well, as you know, it it should be the common denominator. I was going to say, and unless you were being paid for the job or whatever, but even if you're being paid for the job, if you don't get the get the right feel out of it, that image is wrong. I have to agree with your perspective on this. You know, I was a wedding photographer. I confess, I didn't like it. But the difference between a good wedding photo and the vast majority, was that the vast majority didn't have the feels. Right. They didn't make you, as a viewer or as the creator, want to be there and want to be part of that time. 
and want to be able to revisit that time again. Mm. Most of them just are, yeah, there's two people and one of them's in a tux and one of them's in a dress and they look sort of happy today. Yep. And I don't say that there's something wrong with that, but those photographs don't have legs. Someone else isn't going to look at them in 50 years and go, man, I wish I could have been there. Because here's all the things that I feel from looking at that photograph. Right. And yet we can look at landscapes made 70 years ago, and they make us feel. Yep. We can see photographs of people made 100 years ago. But they're made. They are made. And because they're made, there is feeling. And the photographer probably knew his or her audience. Who is the viewer besides myself right. that I am making this photograph for? Great photographs are a gift. You don't have to accept them. But when you find one, and you do, they can be, I think life-changing is a bit of a stupid sentence, but they can be transformative. They can be Mm eye-opening. They can give a person another perspective. So so how would you say then that the, how does the audience that you're going to project this to um, influence what are your images? Well, that's a great question. And I can answer for me. Yeah. I can't answer for anybody else. If an image that I make does nothing for me, I have no audience. So first off, before I... So the primary has to be you. It has to please me. Okay. And then secondary, how does the audience? Well, then people, then I can potentially conclude that that folks who will look at the image in the same way that I might look at it, see it the way I see it, doesn't mean they'll interpret it the same way, but they may also get a feeling from it. Right. Now, that is the work I do for myself. If I'm doing work for someone else, I know who the audience is. Yes. If I'm a wedding photographer, I am photographing for the mother of the bride. Right. She is the ultimate customer, or at least she was when I did this 40 years ago. So I am influenced in that context by wanting to ensure that the audience will see the work the way they need to see it based on their needs and their wants. When I'm working for myself, I'm basing it on my own needs and my own wants. And if someone else likes it, great. If they hate it, that's fine too. And some will even choose to say, to ignore it. And that's also okay. So long as it pleases me first. And I think you've um, you've also mentioned in the past, uh, uh, if you are 
doing something for um, advertising, for instance. Now you really know who your audience is. You've, and you've, you, yeah. your, your, the mechanics of mechanics and the thought process behind what you're doing uh, will will be modified. So I, I can see where you're you're going with that. So the mother of the bride is is one the CEO of the company who's going to look at the Coca Cola can and uh, decide that red is not correct. Yeah. So. Yes, I can see you. Well, or, or, or let's sports. use the example. Let's use the example of an executive portrait. Yes, the audience is going to be the person in the portrait. Yes, and they're going to want that portrait in all likelihood to create a feeling of confidence mm-hmm. and competence and yes. skill in the minds of the viewer. Right, which will influence in turn how you are going to take that photograph to project that image. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. No, those may be techniques and tools that you use, but if I don't, no matter what the techniques and tools are, if I don't create the emotional context in the image, right. the photograph is a failure. Yes. And I, as, a, as an artist, I have to accept that it's a failure if they're paying me to do it. Yes. And I'm doing it for myself, that's a whole different game. I can still fail, but I'm not failing at anyone else's expense. Right. Um, so that's what I meant in the case of the audience. Now, I know that we encounter people <coughs> who are taking pictures and making photographs not for themselves. They want to use them as advertising materials or marketing materials to sell their ability as a photographer or their retouching services or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're trying to do that, does that change the intent that goes into making the image? Well, it may change the intent, but it takes you back back to the primary point that we made. You, you can be using, you can be be using the image to sell yourself that's that's fine you're one of the audiences you're paying you're paying the bills um, but if you don't get the feel that this image is saying about me what I want it to say about me then you have failed yeah because otherwise how does my work differentiate from anybody else's. At that point, it's a Xerox machine. Sure. And Xerox machines are wonderful things, <laughs> but they're not creative. <laughs> Sorry, dude. It's okay. <coughs> and well, this two guys. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> yes, two guys with a cough. Relax, it's not COVID. No. COPD. Mm. <laughs> yeah, or sarcoidosis. Yeah. <laughs> And this leads to something that you've heard me talk about, perhaps at too great a length. But it's about the emotional commotion in the image. Does the image trigger an emotion in me as the creator and potentially in a viewer? Mm 
And, you know, as you say, you're probably squeezing the shutter less now than you did before. Mm -hmm. I absolutely know that that's true for me. I also know that as I look at some older work of my own, I might be more inclined to go, what the hell were you thinking? Oh, I do that all the time. This is junk. Because there isn't that emotional bind. Humans are emotional creatures. We are not logical. We respond to emotional responses. I mean, even even the, the craziest sociopath is still an emotional being. They just may be on another plane of emotion from other folks. So if I'm looking at an image today, my own, and it doesn't make me feel anything, I'm not going to work on it anymore. Because mm-hmm. I've come to the conclusion after a long time that there's nothing I can do in the digital darkroom to make a soulless image Build a soul. I I think uh, I I think that's right, right. And I say, but not that I have this huge amount of experience, but it's, that's certainly the point where I've gotten to now. But I think I think that's an incredible. If you'll take the compliment, that's an incredible attainment on your part. Because I've been doing this a long time, and I met lots of people. They've been photographing for a very long time. And they love photography, and they love post-processing. And I look at their images, and they're beautiful prints. Technically great work. Mm-hmm. And 10 minutes later, I don't remember any of them. But I think of some of the photographs like that you and I have seen at the wildlife photography was, of the year. Was, I, like, I'm thinking of that... The, the one bison. The one bison. Or all the all the, uh, the the reindeer or deer, way off in the distance, or the one of the polar bear. Oh yes, one polar bear on top of an ice floe, or the la- the one that we saw taken by the young person. Yes, of the tree at night with all the uh, bioluminescent creatures around. Right. It. Those photographs are going to live with me because they provoked an emotional response. And you and and I know you felt the same thing too because we're walking through the exhibit and we both stop and right. sit down simultaneously. We stop and we sit down and we look at That's the image. A scary thought. Well, it's scarier for you, pal. <laughs> I'm okay being nuts. I think so. This is what I'm looking for for myself in an image, and I'm encouraging other people to look for it too. Because if there isn't an emotional trigger for you. How can there be an emotional trigger for a viewer? Right. And so, if there is no trigger, how does the image stay memorable? It, uh, yeah, it does. I don't know that it does. No. You know, I can think of images by Eisenstadt that I first saw when I was like five years old mm-hmm. that stick in my head today. Right. You know, I think of I think of a sports image that Dave Black shot of an Olympic swimmer whose name I always forget. And it epitomized Olympic swimming 
mm-hmm. in a I headshot. Think I, I think I know what you mean. More than anything else I've ever seen. It is it is the whole story of Olympic swimming in one shot. Right. And I think that's one of the things that makes Dave Black a brilliant photographer because he is so empathic and he's got such soul. You know, I watched one of his, he did a, he did a, a presentation on Arlington National Cemetery. Okay, not a happy overall thought. Mm-hmm. But it was so powerful and so moving. And I know Dave was, Dave lost it during the presentation. You know, he lost his voice and he was crying. And yeah, that has an impact to you in the audience. But those images had emotional impact without any dialogue. Right. And it made them memorable. And why I think this is so important and why I believe that every creative should be asking this question, what's the emotional commotion? If there isn't any, the image is disposable. Right. And we know, look, there's lots of images that get taken and lots of images that get made that in the long term are disposable. I got hundreds of thousands of them myself. Mm-hmm. That, and that's part of the game. It's part of the deal. But sometimes I'll get that one. And I don't play golf, but I'm told that Golf is a game of frustration and annoyance until the one shot. Right. That keeps people coming back to try to get it again. And that one shot is spaced just far enough apart that you don't give up the sport. <laughs> That's, my dad was a serious golfer. I mean, he, it was the 50s and 60s. You know, he, he, he played... At a time when business people played four days a week. Right. And he was a very successful golfer. But you could tell when he got home if it had not been a good day on the course. <laughs> that was the, get on your bike, mate. <laughs> Take a long ride, perhaps to another country. <laughs> and do not get in the way between the old man and the gin bottle. Right. <laughs> so, you know. I, I I encourage every creative to say, is my image memorable because it's got emotion? Right. Because if it doesn't, then it ultimately is disposable. And you know what? The folks that we talk to, you talk to, that I talk to, who are frustrated with their photography, they're not technically incompetent. No, they generally not. They're most often technically adept, but there's no story. There's no emotion. It's the images are flat and they know it, but aren't understanding perhaps why yes. they are so sad. So if I'm following, following through on, on what you're saying. So the first thing we said is, uh, you, you have to decide what your intent is. Your intent will be influenced by, to some extent, by your audience. And the intent 
and the audience uh, will influence to some extent how how you take that take that photograph but it will take you back to the first point that if you did not in the first place have your own personal satisfaction from what you did influenced by all the other things we talked about then your emotional commotion that you mentioned is not there and your image is not there right and then it's perfectly fair to go back to the beginning and say, why did I do this? Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, and I think that's the real challenge, is achieving that sense of why. Mm-hmm. And why exists in multiple dimensions. I mean, think about it in terms of the fourth, which is time. Mm-hmm. Um, does the story in the image change over time? And I don't mean because cancel culture says that it's bad. You know, I've got no time for that nonsense. But I have images that I know I really loved when I was young that do nothing for me today. Mm -hmm. Whatever emotional context there was doesn't exist anymore. And I can also think of images that I remember looking at when I was a young person like, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. or whatever you said back then, I can't remember. <laughs> no, man, it's bad. Uh, and now they have enormous power. Yep. I mean, do you see that ever? I, I do, and, uh, and, uh, and I wonder, uh, well, I see, I see it all the time, but you, you question whether how the change in your personality or your outlooks from advancing age, your own life experiences, modify how you interpret whatever it is you did back then. So, if you find something like that, you saw an image in the past, and it made you feel something, but now you react to it differently. How does that inform your work today? That change. Mm-hmm. It's, it definitely changes how I photograph now. What, what I feel now has changed entirely differently how I take photographs. So that's an ongoing process. Yes. So I've also talked to people who are very concerned with what's going to happen to all the images they've taken. Some of them hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of images when they're no longer here. Mm -hmm. The question I, I have to ask the creator is, do you care? Does it matter? And if so, how? I don't have an answer myself. No, no this is something I never thought about, so carry on. Yeah, just. Well, it's an interesting thing. I've met very, very nice people who spend, and what I consider, 
so only my opinion, an inordinate amount of time manipulating their Lightroom catalog to make it easy for someone to find their stuff when they're dead. Uh-huh, yep. I know a few. Now, for me, maybe I'm just an insensitive prick, but I'm going to be dead. I'm probably not going to care how hard it is to find my stuff. Nor do I believe that there's going to be this huge rush of people looking for my old images. Because, again, I think most of them are junk. You know, I don't have that ego that says, every time I squeeze the shutter, I'm creating a work of art. Because I sure as hell am not. And I think that's also something that comes with advancing years. Maybe it is. Because uh, my wife has got shoe boxes full of images going back to the warriors. And... Uh, all meaningful to her. Yes. But I will grant her that she is reaching the point now where she says, you know, when we're done, nobody but nobody in the family, she can she can name all the people uh, of, of interest. And the only people who are going to be even vaguely interested are the people who are going to be dead along with the rest of us. And the rest of them are not really going to care that that was Uncle Bob sitting on a beach in the icy cold Atlantic. I'm afraid that that's true. You know, I've got my dad's photographs from the war, World War II, my mom's images, mm -hmm. such that there are. Um, they are meaningful to my wife only marginally. Mm -hmm. She wasn't there. She didn't know those people. Right. There was no, you know, it's not that she didn't care, because she does, but that link is only so strong. Sure. And that box of photos and the albums from my parents, what are they going to matter to my daughter? You know, her grandfather Beyond was gone. Maybe five or six images, I can see not. Exactly. Exactly. So I, the question I ask when we think about aging and the story changing over time, it's not just how the story is going to change for you. Because sometime, at some point, you won't matter. Mm -hmm. And I won't matter. And will anybody else care and how much do, should we as creatives worry about that and I don't have an answer well I, I think worry is uh, so it's actually it's actually a good word in this scenario because um, should we worry about it well we spend a lot of time doing it but the one good image that you take your Take in your make in your lifetime. You don't have to worry about it because you know that it's going to be there. Uh, Curry's Afghan girl is a perfect. Yeah, no, yeah, that, that's a that's a that's a terrific example. If, and if, I'm pretty certain that image was taken in under five minutes. 
I strongly suspect that it is a highly unconstructed image, but that McCurry's eye, because that's a hugely emotionally commotional image. And I think that McCurry saw that. And one of the things I like about McCurry's work is it is very emotionally demanding and sometimes disturbing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember at the camera club five years ago sharing one of his images from Nicaragua Mm-hmm. And and people being so offended that they left, right? Because the image was that emotionally disturbing. It was accurate. It was factual, but the story was troubling. Right. You know, Kevin Carter's image. You and I have talked about this before. The child and the vulture. Oh yes, that is a massively emotionally powerful image. Where. Most everybody didn't know the story and that the flashback was so bad mm-hmm. that Kevin Carter killed himself because of it. Right. You know, wow. But I don't want to get that. I don't want to go into suicide or... No, let's... That, uh, at least not you know, yet. That kind of thing. <laughs> but I do want to think about all those images. Now, you and I, because we are sad for you alike, enjoy museums. Yes. We like to go to museums. And we like to see what's there. <clears throat> I have the great good fortune to to know a, a, a paleontologist uh, who has retired now, but worked at the ROM in the back. Right. For years and when my daughter was young we went down and brian took us into the stacks okay and there's a lot more bones and fossils that are back there than they're ever ever out on display mm-hmm. now to, to someone with a fascination in ancient creatures that was a completely memorable day for both of us. Right. You know, my daughter will talk about it still. And it was, geez, 20 years ago. But that three-quarter day at the museum meant a lot. But when you and I go, or when anyone goes to a museum or an art gallery, (coughs) they have a lot more content than what is ever out on display. Sure. And that content, we say, is curated. Okay. Some smart folks get together. They understand the goal, the story that needs to be told in this exhibit. And they have to pick from this massive selection of options enough pieces to make it interesting and not so many pieces that the viewing audience gets bored. Yep. You know, I mean, I think there's about, a fine line. There. There's a fine line. I think about the time that you and I walked through uh, the exhibit on on history in India. Yes. And I don't know anything about the history of of the people in India and the, and the subcontinent, but what I got out of it was a great sense of time movement. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and culture. And when I left the exhibit, I wasn't tired of it. Right. And I would, did I want to spend another two hours in it? No. So I credit the curators. But you would go back on another time and spend another two hours. On oh, absolutely I will. Absolutely I would. Right. Because I miss stuff. Right. But I have to credit the curators for doing the hard work to create that framework for story. Right. That I can visit more than once. You know, it's not like watching a film the second time. Most movies are so disposable that at that point you watch them the second time, they're just they're just noise. But a visit to an art gallery or to a museum or even great film, we, we will see things that we missed the first time. Right. And that is the value of curation of art or in the editing process uh, and the shoot, the directing process of making a film. So the question I would ask of the photographer is, are you curating your images? And by that, I'm, I'm going to break it down into terms that I understand, which has got to be simplistic. Uh, so what, what you're saying is, uh, okay, you've got all these images, <coughs> Now you better put them into, uh, if you're going to spend the time worrying about who's going to see them, then you better put them into some format that uh, is easily understood, will hold somebody's interest for a period of time, and maybe reside in their memories for a short period of time. To ask more than that is perhaps expecting a bit much of anything. And it very well may be. But I don't think if you don't... Yeah, I, I fear that if you don't do what you just said, you have a big box of nothing. Yeah. Because to expect a viewer to do self-curation... Not going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. They, they will try for a while. Yeah. And then they'll close their eyes and the, the shoebox goes in the... Uh, it goes back in the bottom of the closet. It just becomes too much like work. Yep. And they don't have the connection to complete that curation process. I mean, I, I can recall... Yeah, they don't have the connection. They don't have the interest. Uh, they don't have the time anymore. No, it's very busy. You know, I, I think one an example of this is uh, the whole family tree thing. You know, it's coming up to that season, and we're going to see all kinds of special deals from Ancestry to get started on your family tree. Now, I know who's behind Ancestry. Okay. I know the organization. I even understand their motivation. I don't buy into it, but I know why they do what they do. Okay. And it doesn't involve a toaster oven, although that's a joke I've made before. <laughs> and they're doing it. Uh, they're doing it because 
they know that everybody's got their shoebox full of photographs. They do. And they also know that 90% of the people are going to give up in the first 30 days. And then they'll get them back again and again. <coughs> I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with that. But it's an example of trying to turn curation into into cash you know flow. cash flow. Uh, and yes, that organization does want your cash. Oh yeah, absolutely. They definitely are happy to take your cash. So when I think about curation or self-curation, is how do you create the images? Are they just a shoebox? Right. Or are you curating them as a collection of single independent entities? Are you using them to create a story? Are you using them in your creation process to create an arc? You know, very often we'll hear about, you know, these your endless sequence of movies that are linked together. I'm about past ready to throw up. But it's the story arc. No, it's not. It's just about fishing in more eyeballs. Right. Sorry. Cynical. Live with it. <laughs> uh, but if I'm doing my own images, when I curate them, in some form, maybe it's a book or a slideshow or a video. How am I pulling them together? Right. Am I creating a story? Am I creating an arc? Am I trying to take the viewer on a, on a trip from one place to another? Because what I know is if I'm not doing that, I'm going to lose them. You know, from everything that you've just said, uh, it's just dawned on me that this is perhaps an aspect of photography that nobody has talked about. I, do, I don't know that nobody has talked it's about It's a very verticalized space. But but it, it, it makes sense. Uh, it makes very good sense that whatever you're doing, it's got to fit as one more piece of the jigsaw puzzle that gets small over time. It can't get bigger because bigger you lo you've lost everybody. Well, yeah, you you've got that option paralysis thing. Yeah, keep it simple, and um, that's 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 a very interesting concept. So that's guys, guys and ladies. That's what we wanted to talk about today. Not the how, but the why. Why do we squeeze the shutter? What are we hoping, what's our intent? What are we planning on achieving? After we've squeezed the shutter, what's the outcome? Or what was the outcome that gave us the why to squeeze the shutter? If that curated story is an outcome, that helps answer the why question. Mm -hmm. Because we started with the end in mind. Otherwise, I fear that we're filling the digital shoebox. And it looks like, as I once was, as was once, as Google was once surprised, uh, described to me, 
as the Library of Congress with all the covers torn off and all the books thrown on the floor. <laughs> and its ability was to find stuff in that mess. Right. You know, nothing is ordered. Their concept is that order only exists in a very short-term manifestation. Right. Maybe that's so. But for art, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk to people about, as we did yesterday on, on the Calby One Community Live show, photo books. And it was marvelous to see all the different books. And everybody started off with the how book. Right. But by the end of the episode, everybody's talking about the books that inspired them, that created that emotional charge to go out and do that stuff. And I was impressed by the number of the people it's a very small community who, who attend, who had actually already done their own books. Right. They didn't have to be big, long books, but they'd gone, they'd gone to that curation step. And it was absolutely magical watching them, you know, talk about that. Right. I mean, this, this book that you just showed me, this is an epitome of what it should be. I agree. I mean, I was sitting down, and I'm looking at this book at an angle. I can't see the whole cover. Uh, the light is crappy. In the room. Okay. <laughs> but I just, from what I could see, I'm just looking at this thing, and I'm saying, I, oh, man, I, I, I don't know what he's got here, but this I want to see. And I, and I want to see it again. Yeah. I, I, and And again... One of the things that I think that Ms. Gould has done really well is as you go through the book, it's not just photos. Because mm-hmm. many of the photos are accompanied by the story and what she was seeing right. and what she was feeling when she made the image. Right. And that is the one thing that I think sets it above a lot of photo books. Yes. It's not just pretty pictures. Yes. It's not just pretty pictures with emotional commotion. There's a humanity and an empathy in there that only comes through because of her stories that go with the images. So folks, that's something, that's your homework for the rest of your life. Yeah, that sounds about right. To think about why. Sure, spend time on how, learn a technique, do whatever. Buy that piece of gear because you think it's going to make you a better photographer. Here's a hint. It won't. What will make you a better artist is being able to answer the question why. Absolutely. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. Anything to close with, Gordon? No, I think uh, we've done it. Great. Gordon, as always, it's a pleasure. You You got even more compliments this week? I did? Oh, yeah. On the, on the live show, you got oh, to you gotta tell Gordon. He, we like him. He's great. Oh, dear. Yeah. I think it's awesome. Anyway. No, thank you. Thanks, everybody. And we'll talk to you again soon. I've been Ross. And I'm Gordon. Have a great week, weekend, however you spend your time.